0: Welcome, back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman.
1: And I'm Brennan Hansen.
0: And this is the podcast about decisions in games.
1: In today's episode, we're doing a classic Decision Space deep dive of Planet Unknown, a polyomino game in which each player has their own personal planet and they're trying to fill it up with tiles in the style of games like Patchwork. And I'm really excited to dive into this one. It has some novel little twists, lots of interconnected systems that I think will make for an engaging conversation and really interesting stuff with in terms of the objectives in the game and also the mini games in a way. And it's also just a game about tracks in a way that we haven't really covered in a long time and that I like way more than I expected.
0: Very few games I feel that we play and we know as immediately like we have to deep dive this game. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm yeah. very excited to talk about this one. I think people are in for a good episode. But before we do that, friend, did you want to read a recent review that we got for our podcast?
1: I would love to. OK, so this review is from the Pete Wiss. Is that right, Jake? Yeah. OK, uh, the nerdiest board gaming podcast is the title. And of course, it's five stars. So Pete says, I consume a lot of tabletop hobby content, and in a world full of 10-minute micro-reviews, Decision Space stands out. This is the most inside baseball discussion for gamers that I have encountered, and I'm here for it. Most content creators make videos or podcasts about games they've probably only played once or twice, and this makes everything feel like I'm just reading the back of the box. Jake and Brendan really do the academic work of dissecting a game that's only possible after playing it a ton. This show is for the try-hard obsessive nerds in your game group like me. The Goofy banner is just the icing on the cake. I hope they can keep it going because I cannot imagine how exhausting it must be to create this kind of quality work on a weekly schedule.
0: Thank you, Pete, for the incredibly kind five-star review. Pete is a local board gamer and designer to St. Louis, so fortunate to game with Pete in person. He's kind of famous for being... Kind of a wealth of knowledge for trick-taking games. So one of my goals for 2024 is to have Pete on the show to talk about trick-taking games. Pete's also been a bit of a mentor towards me on my game design journey. He's a little bit ahead of where I'm at. And one of my other goals for this year is to share a little bit more about my game design journey. So just this morning as of recording, uh, I had kind of an embarrassing learning moment for game design that I just wanted to quickly share on the podcast for, for anybody who's interested in sort of following along with me. So I have designed a little card game called Chicken Wild. I made a sell sheet for it. And I recently, before Christmas break, sent it around to maybe 10 publishers, just seeing if people would be interested. And I got one email back that. Seemed like a publisher that was pretty intrigued from Europe. They asked me to send them a physical prototype. So I did that just before break. And this morning, they sent me an email saying that the prototype arrived safe and sound. However, they asked me to please choose a lower value on the package next time because they had to pay 30 euros to receive the prototype what i was so embarrassed because i had first of all like i've never sent a prototype or really mail of any kind to europe before much how less you,
1: to like how a, much did you say it, it was worth so
0: i said it was a hundred dollars <laughs> even though it's just a deck of cards what <laughs> and I was yeah i this is amazing. I really I really can't defend myself at all. I the clerk <laughs> at the post office said how much is this worth? I was like it's just a deck of cards, like maybe $10. And she's like usually I ju- we just put like $100. And I was like is that like a higher cost to me? And she said, "No, I think that's just for if it gets lost, like then you get like reimbursed." And I was kind of like at that point, I, you know, I was like, not really n- certain of anything. And I could kind of like justify it to myself. I was like, well, you know, the sleeves plus like the time and labor that went into this, like, sure, whatever. So I just signed off on that and embarrassed myself pretty significantly. So I asked to please be allowed to reimburse them for the cost. <laughs> and- <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that lesson learned, okay, like, don't, follow my mistake if you're probably nobody would but hey if you don't know you don't know and i definitely didn't know so i i just thought that was worth a psa so that nobody else in this kind of game design journey makes the same mistake that i did
1: on the bright side you got an email back from the publisher so that's great and on the bright side again the bright side is you've left a lasting memory about the game in their minds (laughs) yeah positive or negative right like i, I yeah. think that's that's half the battle jake so thanks for sharing that anecdote that's hilarious
0: yep anyway okay let's get into what people actually clicked on this episode for and do our reviews of planet unknown Brendan, do you want to start with your review? Because I've just been
1: talking a lot. Heck yeah. Planet Unknown is a bit like a prog rock light polyomino board game. It's bombastic, driving, ambitious, if not maybe a bit scattered. I admire both the straightforward design decisions, the rock solid grid puzzle, the overlaid rover movement pathing puzzle that connects with the meteor system when drafting tiles and the life pods when placing them, and the game end trigger depending on when the players fill the board. This is a game that makes the most of a lot of light systems to draw out something more interesting than any one disconnected version of these systems could ever be on their own. While I love the novelty of the asymmetric boards. At times it can feel like playing an entirely different game than the player across the table from you, almost at least. And Planet Unknown suffers a bit from option creep in its rules presenting just a few too many variants that don't all feel fully developed, but at its core, Planet Unknown is a blast, and I enjoy it far more than I feel I should for a light polyomino game built on the foundation of pushing cubes up tracks. Eight out of ten.
0: Great. I
1: When I played Planet Unknown
0: for the first time, and I played this a ton online, and I played it only once in person, so I'm thinking back to that first in-person play, I had a great time playing, with it, playing the game. But very few games that I've played really since I've entered the modern hobby board game, the modern board game hobby, excuse (laughs) me, have I like walked away from feeling like this is just really sloppy. Like I feel like (laughs) there is just some sloppy design in this game, but I kind of love it, right? I don't know what that says about me and I'll get into like, I don't think this is me being pedantic. I think there's just like some objective things about this game that are like very fair to criticize from a balance perspective, from like a player experience perspective, but it just all comes together and it is a total blast to play. Uh, I had a great time playing in person. I've had an even better time exploring the game as a two player game than I thought I would. I think that might be my preferred way to play. So I want to talk about that. And I I, I really love this game. I think it's an interesting case study for games design. I can't wait to get into it. I'm gonna give it an eight point seven out of ten. I, oh my I don't gosh. think it I think the sloppiness makes it like not quite like I felt like I can't give it a nine, but I want to say more than eight point five. So that's where I'm going.
1: Amazing. Sloppy and granular ratings. I love it. You're not wrong. Yeah,
0: you know, it's like a Jackson Pollock painting. Like that be, yeah. but it's still art you know totally so let's get into the game background
1: okay so this is i think we don't cover we haven't historically covered a lot of kickstarter games or this is actually not a kickstarter game it is a game found game on decision space and part of that is that yeah excuse me wrong crowdfunding (laughs) platform but Uh, Planet Unknown is one of those games. It came out, it was officially released in 2022 from Adams at Apple Games. It was designed by Ryan Lambert and Adam Rayberg, who are frequent co-designers. I myself wasn't familiar with a lot of their other titles, uh, but they have about five or so plus titles each, four of which I believe were co-designed, maybe more. Uh, So they're two designers who often work together. uh, And... That's most of the game background for Planet Unknown. I felt it was important to mention the crowdfunding aspect, at least because since we haven't had that conversation on Decision Space a lot about, oh, it feels like there's a lot in this box. It feels like maybe it's not fully feels like a bit of a hodgepodge that you see sometimes from sort of crowdfunding games where there's an incentive to get more and more and more stuff in the box to drive hype. Uh, I, I think we feel it a little bit here. There's there's just a lot. But a lot of it's really good, actually. And I think we'll get into talking about uh, talking about some of that. And Jake, I'm just like, I'm realizing, you mentioned, we talked about the asymmetric corporations, which are your sort of unique powers, but then there's also unique planets that you can play with. You can also play with like, symmetric planets. There's just so, there's event cards, there's uh what help me there's different goals objectives, and objectives. yeah Wait,
0: what, what what event cards there's event yeah cards? there's
1: there's an event module with 20 i don't think, event I've, viewed, cards. I don't think I've played that. i didn't i never turned it on for us okay yeah. there's <laughs> okay. enough going on we played it like 20 times you know there's like plenty to explore in that 20 seasons. just
0: the experience of playing and exploring this game i don't know that it almost felt like uh my city or something where Every single time we played this game, we played like 20
1: times. <laughs> we played a different tot- version of the game. It's
0: totally different. I just yeah. like kept thinking like eventually I'm gonna get a repeat like world or corporation. And towards the end, yeah, I started seeing some repeats, but there is just a tremendous amount of content. And it is I think it's really exciting the the direction that the designers took this game because it's not like a it's not like small iterations on the theme that you might see where where balance is the driving design ethos. It is. It does feel like the designers have chosen each little element that they could have and taken it to like the wonkiest possible place. Yeah. And I just think that's really exciting.
1: I think some games too, Jake, You you can see like, oh, not, they didn't put every idea they had in this box. And here it feels like every idea they had Kind of ended up in the box, but luckily Ryan and Adam had a lot of amazing ideas. There's really cool stuff in this box. So every time I got to play with a new asymmetric planet, I was like, oh, this totally changes the game and it's a fun version of a fun game that I enjoy. Right. So, I, yeah.
0: Very cool. So, Brennan, should we jump into your previously recorded rules overview to give people a better idea of how to play this game and meet them back on the other side for our classic deep dive discussion?
1: Planet Unknown is a light polyomino tiling game in which players have a personal planet board that turn by turn, they attempt to fill with six different types of tiles. Sieve, water, biomass, rover, technology, and energy. Four of these tile types correspond to tracks shown on each player's personal board. When a player places a tile on their planet, each polyomino tile depicts sections of two types. They move a marker up the track or tracks which match the type of tile placed. Moving up tracks can provide helpful benefits like points, bonus movement of additional tracks, special Civ cards, rover movement for a novel pathing minigame all about picking up life pods and meteorites from a player's planet, new technologies which typically amend the rules of the game, and more. A novel twist in Planet Unknown is its drafting system. All the tiles in the game are placed in a Lazy Susan, which rotates freely and is split into 6 segments. Each player takes turns being the Station Master, which allows them to rotate the Lazy Susan such that one of these 6 segments is in front of them, from which they can pick from two tiles. A large tile, usually showing a meteor, but allowing them to fill their board more quickly, or a smaller tile. Each other player then places a tile from the segment in front of them on the lazy Susan. In a two player game, however, the Lazy sim- Susan is simply rotated one segment each turn. Players receive points for filling up rows and columns on their board, collecting life pods and meteorites by using their rovers, by accomplishing objectives shared with their neighbors, and by moving up the four primary tracks in the game. The game is most likely to end when a player can no longer place a tile validly on their board during a turn. Uh, they still get to move up the tracks of the tile they might have placed. It can also end when a Lazy Susan depot sit one of the places where the tile replaced runs out completely and when either of these things happen the player with the most points is crowned the victor
0: thank you brendan for taking the time to record that hopefully people now have a better sense of what's going on in this crazy game called planet unknown should we start where we always do and characterize the overall decision space of this game
1: yeah i think we absolutely should okay so what we typically do is we talk about the size and depth this is an interesting one jake because for me planet unknown this is an overlaid objectives game right Mm -hmm. you are trying to accomplish lots of different things at the same time you're not choosing between objective a and objective b you are trying to accomplish objective a objective b and objective c all at the same time as efficiently as possible
0: Right. So let's take just the space game, the starter world and starter corporation. Even in that most simplified version of the game, you're always going to be trying to, you know, the overlaid objectives that we're talking about. You're trying to complete rows on your board. You're trying to complete columns on your board you're trying to scoop up life pods, you're trying to collect meteors, and you're trying to complete objectives. In the multiplayer game, you'll be compete, completing, trying to complete personal objectives and competing with the player on the right and left for an objective just between you two. In the two-player game, you have three shared objectives that you're all going for. So even, you know, that is kind of the core outline of the game and there's a lot of overlaid objectives going on to be sure
1: and then on top of all of that okay so the objectives are driving the game so that's a huge part of what's informing right like the objectives are the game that's informing what you're trying to do but within that i think one of the things that i find most interesting about planet unknown is it's it's so hard because there's so many things in this game that we could talk about but i think i want to talk about the the pathing rover puzzle really quickly. Because for me, that's something that makes this game just spark to life. So going on, while you're just laying tiles on the board like a normal polyomino game, you're also moving these little rover pieces around, likely just one, maybe two m- later on in the game, depending on your, corp- on your unique corporation that's going to your unknown planet, trying to collect meteorites, like Jake said, and also life pods. Um, and that's a really fun little efficiency game that sort of forces you to think about how you might build out your polyominoes across the board you still most of the time have to place adjacent to tiles you've already placed and the first tile you place has to be on the edge of your planet i say most of the time because planet unknown has a lot of rules uh on Thanks to its tech tracks, which are unique to each corporation, that just the rules they break the rules of the game. So even on the baseboard, you fairly quickly get to the point where the adjacency placement think, rule doesn't apply anymore.
0: I think it's like the first tech yeah. you unlock, maybe yep. and it's just all of a sudden this like core rule that you were just taught. Okay, here's the t- it's a tile placement game. You have to build tiles adjacent to each other. Cool, I've got that. I've played a lot of games like this you play for five minutes, it's like, you can put tiles anywhere. (laughs) Like,
1: okay, well, that's different. And that really explodes the decision space because then there's so much thinking about, okay, I can see the tiles that I might draft down in this lazy Susan shared in front of us, which I talked about in the rules overview. but to mention again, there's this really cool sort of plastic piece that's in front of everyone that's physically spins and it shows six different segments that are each filled with tiles of two different sizes in these depots uh and whoever is the station master in a multiplayer game gets to move it around and choose which segment they want in front of them and pick a tile from one of them so you can you have tons of options on a given turn that you could place combined with being able to place anywhere there's a lot to think about on any given turn of planet unknown but luckily the objectives are not complicated they're very clear and straightforward so you most of the time have a good sense for what you're trying to accomplish at any given point in time
0: yeah i, I don't know
1: I, I'm flailing a bit here. There's so much.
0: What I've already identified just in the beginning of this conversation is Planet Unknown is is kind of like the magic, the gathering of <laughs> pile placement games, just in the sense that there's an exception to every rule yeah. that we're talking about. And also, I think another apt comparison, as we talk about the, the, the decision space is the decision space changes based on what you're trying to do at a given point in the game. Brendan, you might be trying to do a rover puzzle where I'm just trying to end the game. I'm right. trying to just fill up my board with the biggest possible pieces to trigger the game end condition, which is when as soon as any player can't place a piece legally, that's the last turn of the game. So if, if I feel like I'm ahead, maybe I'm just trying, I'm I'm the beat down in that situation. You want to make a mess. I just want to make a mess. And I'm just going to go ahead and try and wrap up the game as quickly as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas somebody else is doing something totally different with their tracks, which I think I neglected to mention as a a very important objective in the game. So I think that's sort of where the decision space lies is. I think where the decision space is most interesting is in identifying what you're trying to do Mm. at this point in the game state. And often that'll be, I'm trying to advance up a certain track right? I want to like get this goal on a track next. Like if I'm trying to go up the blue track, right? I'm trying to maybe go up two spaces, uh, get a new, another point reward, or I get some other bonus on that track. And I think that's really interesting. And that feels like a big decision space. But then once you've identified what you want to do, your options are, generally su- are sufficiently limited that it's really easy, I think, to kind of hone in and make the best play towards that goal. And then I think winning or losing is kind of more dependent on the former, like identifying what you should be doing in the game of state with the game state than it is on the latter, which is like the tactical implementation of your plan, which gets pretty straightforward.
1: Yep. I I think that's right, Jake. And The cool thing, too, also is that sometimes you really care about where you're placing tiles on your planet, right? I want to be filling up those rows and columns, like Jake said. I'm playing a classic polyomino efficiency tiling game where I don't care quite as much about what type of tiles I'm placing. I just want to place the right shape of tiles. And then sometimes because of the tracks, like we mentioned, where you're trying to move up these really four key tracks, but also there's five tracks in the game all of which do matter and then there's six types of tiles because there's a wild ish resource sometimes you just care oh i really need to get a water tile i don't really care if i mess up my tiling game because if i get to the top of this water track i get gobs of points so i just any type of water i can throw it on my board i need to get it there because it's so many points that it's okay if it causes me problems later on and i think that's a really fun twist that justifies the tracks in a way which normally feel really dry is that they add so much texture to the tiling game because they're sort of forcing you to factor in the sort of potential benefits there and the ways in which you might sort of lean into placing a tile that you otherwise wouldn't just because you want that type of resource on your board or in that place because of an objective even
0: yeah and there's a real sense of like tempo to that as well yeah. because yes. early in the game you're you can be more focused on trying to fit your pieces together nicely so that you leave yourself plenty of opportunity uh you know to fill in spaces complete the columns in rows which are kind of your baseline point getting uh operandus but later in the game oh i've only have two or three turns left and i'm two spaces away from the top of the water track. So now yeah. I'm throwing everything out the window because I need to get to the top of that track. Uh, and I and I care a lot less about placing things neatly. So overall, Brendan, I think it's pretty clear to me that this is a waning decision space game. Yeah. I think that is typically what we find in the polyomino genre. Uh, and genre. And I think that's true here with the caveat that because of... The way the tech tracks on various boards, you know, you're like we mentioned with the baseboard, your decision space actually gets bigger at one point in the game once you unlock the ability that you don't have to do adjacency anymore. So there are definitely, I think, more dynamic elements that you that you find here than in other more straightforward games. And then another important distinction is that the multiplayer, the three and four player game is more dynamic significantly than the two player game, because in the three player game, when it's your turn, you can put the Lazy Susan anywhere. You can pick yeah. any bay to put any tile available. It, the world is your oyster. So that's a huge decision space that comes around infrequently where in the two-player game, the Lazy Susan just spins, just clicks around clockwise every turn. So you're always kind of confronted with that. That aspect of the decision space uh, is more straightforwardly waning. Which so
1: kind of like Patchwork, honestly. Yeah. Because you Which can look you, ahead.
0: I, and I honestly think that works better for this yeah. game, for yeah. me. I don't feel like I get a... And, and I think that's an interesting kind of decision space takeaway of the game. Because I think a lot of people might think that this game, I'm, I'm actually curious what it says on Board Game Geek, like if people vote, like what what the best player count is. Mm. Um, because I feel like it might be that people would assume that the higher player count works better because you get, it feels like more value out of that component, the Lazy yeah. Susan component, when you get to you know kind of swivel it around however you like. But I find that just, cre- it just adds more randomness in, in kind of an unsatisfying way.
1: Yeah. At least for me. You lose a lot of the planning. I looked it up real quickly, Jake, Coley, we were talking. So Planet Unknown plays one to six players. And it on BGG, people think it plays best at four. I really like it at two also. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that. in a minute. Yeah. What do you think about the feel of this game? I think sometimes polyomino games can are associated with a bit of a harsh feel, especially towards the end. So often how a game ends is how is what imprints our memory of our experience of that game um so something like patchwork can feel really brutal and harsh it's tough not to compare polyomino games to patchwork. So go listen to our patchwork episode if you've never played that game. But there's also, there's minus ones all over your board. And functionally, Planet Unknown kind of has that, but it hides it. And instead, you just get benefits for filling up rows and columns. So it's, it, it's almost as if the board was covered in minus decimals uh, of, of a point everywhere, but it doesn't show you that you just, you have to finish a row and column to get the points. Um, and then also, so it feels less harsh Uh, because you oftentimes, especially in the symmetric version, can shed the tile placement rule, it feels a little bit less harsh. And I think oftentimes because you have the option of picking a smaller tile or a larger tile always, that choice between two, um, which really matters for game end tempo and pacing like you said, Jake, there's real efficiency considerations in terms of what you're feeling, but it feels a little bit more flexible usually because if you get yourself into a bad spot, usually you can just, you have access to nice small tiles It's not a game like Isle of Cats or Patchwork that's throwing really strange polyominoes at you and saying, here, yeah, you think you're doing well? Fit this weird H shape on your board, you know? It it really, the... the tile shapes mostly tile fairly nicely together or even my city for that matter where you're sort of feeling oftentimes like oh wow I really wish I could place the mirror version of this tile and planet unknown you can flip them and and turn them in any way you want so oftentimes I think as far as the spectrum of harshness in terms of these games go it doesn't feel harsh when you're playing it feels bountiful it's a it's a game of of doing lots of stuff and them wanting you to have a dopamine hit every turn
0: yeah I think that is a huge component of the feel, so I'm glad you touched on that. It it feels like the design has leaned into kind of the candy crushification. (laughs) board game right yeah every single turn no there is no denying it you will be advancing on a track
1: <laughs> you make progress no matter what you do yeah two tracks almost yeah.
0: always two tracks yeah uh, so so you're always making progress in this game no matter what and that feels good and i think the other like the harshness of you know at the end of the day i think it is true in planet unknown as it is in other polyomino games that you know, being good at spatial reasoning, like being able to plan ahead and think about ways that you can combine shapes into sort of like a satisfying, you know, cluster that's going to fill your board is advantageous, but that is drastically undermined by the game end condition, which is that as soon as somebody can't go anymore, the game is over for everybody. Yep. And so I think that, Impacts the feel as well because you could be doing a super good job trying to fill up your board in a tidy neat way where you know the person who's just like chaotically picking the largest pieces every time and ends the game early. You know, if they're getting there there are yeah, like there are other ways to do well point-wise. Sometimes you can do well in this game by doing a really good job neatly filling up your board. And sometimes, you know, the the rushdown strategy of just like picking big tiles can undermine that significantly. So, you know, it feels like a game where everybody's going to kind of like have fun whether or not yeah. you even like really love the Tetris aspect of these games.
1: And a nice thing about that too, again, the the duality between the board puzzle informing the track puzzle, the track incentives and the track incentives informing the board is that the, when you, if someone's playing that more rushdown type, I'm going to fill my board up as quickly as possible. I want to end the game as fast as possible. Maybe they're focusing on really moving up two tracks when you get to one of the end of, of track there's usually a big point payout water pays out a ton of points if you get to the end of that track and all the others give at least some form of a nice little lump of points at the end Whereas other players, if they're trying to more evenly fill out their board, they're probably more focused, not on the type of tiles they're placing, but the shape of those tiles. So they're probably
0: a sacrifice to that end.
1: Right. Yeah. They're moving up more uniformly. So they're not going to get those points. It just, it works really nicely. And then also I love Jake that as you move up tracks, oftentimes you get to move up other tracks. This like bonus. There's a real combo tastic feel to some turns in planet unknown just because it, You can do a lot and accomplish a lot at times, because it has this sort of thing where if you move up here, you get the bonus of moving up a different track. Okay, I move up this track. Then I get the bonus of moving up another track. Okay, I'm going to move up this track. And then I get to do my rover movement puzzle and move my rover a couple times. Oh, I picked up a, a life pod and I'm playing sub-corporation wherever I get a life pod. I get to make another decision. It just, there's there's a lot going on.
0: What, I can't remember the term for it, but there's a symbol on, that you'll find on the tracks. It's like a spiral of all the colors. Yeah. And it might be called like unity or something, but whenever you get that, you advance your marker to that. You get to immediately advance a marker again anywhere. And that literally feels like Bejeweled or Candy Crush. You're like, I did this and then I get to come over here and that lets me do this. You know, it's like yep. it's a little tiny action chain that like try as you might try to deny it. Like your brain tells you that feels good. <laughs> yeah. It's fun when it happens.
1: Ganshan Clever too.
0: Right. Exactly. A Great example of that.
1: Okay. Wait, can I strategy yeah. non sequitur? Okay biomass patches do you think they're ios good? So, oh, so when you move so, up the biomass track uh, eventually you will get to, to these little spaces where you can place one by one tiles anywhere on your board um and they're like build does this really good incentive what do you th- i i don't like this track do you just do you not like this track
0: no i mean i think they're good but they are more niche than you'd think because yeah. it is pretty easy in this game to not leave patches. Like yeah. you just have a lot more options on your turn it feels like than you do in a game like patchwork which is like yeah. very difficult not to leave holes. Yeah. So the the one by one patches you could get in that game are like they feel incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you get from the gods, yeah.
0: Yeah, here often you'll just have a one by one patch and you just like add to the edge of your thing that you're doing and that doesn't feel good at all. So I found that if I know that I'm approaching a biomass space then I might like change my strategy to like Set leave up a, a gap. hole yeah. on purpose, yeah. and then that that can feel pretty nice. I think that's kind of its best use is uh, when when you're opting for bigger tiles, uh, which are often more difficult to neatly fit together. Then the biomass track works pretty well.
1: Thank you for humoring my mid episode strategy non sequitur.
0: What do you think about so? Another really interesting thing about polyomino games is what games do with. Big tiles that Mm. are inherently better, which is true in this game as well, because it's covering up more spaces, which helps you fill in your rows and columns better. In patchwork, right? A lot of times the bigger tiles are either really expensive or they don't have as many buttons on them. How do you think big tiles feel to you in this game? Like, do you just all should you just be trying to use the big tile every single time?
1: So Interestingly here, right, you, there's, no, there's no buttons. So instead of a benefit, you get a downside, kind of. So a lot of the big tiles have meteorites printed on them. So when you add these tiles to your board, you get hit, they get struck by a meteorite, which your rover can pick up in the future. If you leave them on the board, then it counts as a gap. Uh, So long as that meteorite at the end of the game, if that's there, it's as if that space hasn't been filled in. So you have a real incentive to pick them up because you're losing out on filling in rows and columns. But if every three meteorites you pick up, you get a point. So it's this interesting downside that is ultimately probably an upside if you play your cards right, which is fun, something like that. It gives you a good short term planning and where you place the tile and how you place the tile can start to matter, right? Oh, I need to place it where it's actually like rotated exactly this way so it's directly next to another meteor so i can set it up so that my rover can pick up two meteors with two movements instead of having to go three or whatever you get that little bit of extra efficiency i find that the big tiles are generally very good but with that said the little tiles can still be really important especially when there's specific tracks you just have to move up on or when you're playing one of the zany planets in the asymmetric planets that are strangely shaped, um, and just force you, I think, into needing a little bit to play the tile shape game more than the tile type game. For example, Jake, there's this did you ever play Cerebus? This is the, the planet that's actually three small planets next to each other I that you're trying to fill
0: up. I ever managed to land on that one.
1: Okay. That's a cool one. We talked a lot in the Isle of Cats episode about how one of the really fun things about Isle of Cats is you're not just tiling a square, a square grid, you're tiling a rectangular grid that's like tapered at the end. And I think Planet Unknown takes that to its logical conclusion by having you tile lots of interesting different shapes with its asymmetric planets. And its base planet is also kind of that way as well. It's this cool, like it doesn't tile easily, but it tiles easily enough that it's rewarding when you, when you get it done
0: yeah and it can be as hard as you want in <laughs> this game there can, there's one with just like a giant black hole in the middle so you just have like narrow columns all the way around the board there's one with just like random holes all over the pace which is like a tremendous pain in the ass but i mean that's great right like I, I think that is exactly what i'm talking about with like kind of leaning into like the exciting differences of the game so yeah, I agree with what you're saying about large tiles. It's it, I think it kind of and now as we like move into the last characteristic of decision space clarity, I think there's just so many competing things in this game that you want to think about that yes, you want to the big tiles in my opinion are inherently better than the small tiles. So you'll always pick them except for it might not be the right tracks that you're trying to advance, except for it might not be something that helps aid you in achieving one of your uh, shared objectives that you're competing with your neighbor for. So that's kind of, I think, where the self-balancing comes yeah. in. It's just it's just one of many, many sort of heuristics that you add into your arsenal, but it isn't going to be the end-all, be-all.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I guess, okay, can I say one final thing about feel? You kind of touched on it, and we don't need to stick to it because there's so many more interesting things to discuss. But I think another thing about the feel of this game that a certain subset of players will just have a hard time with, which is that if you're not playing symmetric planets and symmetric corporations, this game is not going to feel balanced at times. I just think it's not but it doesn't matter. It's just so fun. There's just no way all the different configurations of planets and corporations and everything could be truly equal, but there's enough going on and enough different ways you can get points that usually you have a fair enough shot and you're having enough fun trying out something new that it doesn't really feel like it matters.
0: Can we just talk about the the asymmetry now yeah we had it we had it left at we have it at the end in our notes but i think it makes sense as a segue here just because i totally agree with you if you are somebody who really cares about balance in board games then i don't recommend playing it unknown to you sure you could play the base game but i think you i think that you would get tired of pretty quickly yeah i think a real strength of this game, because its core is so simple, is the di- the variety offered by the tons of different boards, uh, corporations, and planets. And I think it's important to talk about asymmetry here because we have talked about that on this podcast before and kind of negatively. I think neither of us are huge fans of extreme ace- faction asymmetry in highly interactive games like Root, for instance, and part of the reason that I get, that I find that challenging is just because of the barrier to entry. If we're playing a game of Root, in order for me to meaningfully engage with the game, I have to know intimately what every other person is capable of doing. Planet Unknown at times feels extremely asymmetric. I don't know if it's as asymmetric as Root because you're always pretty much, it's not because you're always doing the same core objectives, but it feels extremely asymmetric when you're using all the different modules offered in this game, but it just doesn't matter that I don't really fully understand what's going on with Brendan's board. It's like I have a board that he, he's working on three planets. I'm working on a one with a giant black hole in the middle, uh, and both of those have special rules associated with them. I'm working on a, play, a corporation board that allows me to move my cubes laterally across the different tracks, which is just completely game breaking. And honestly, I think super duper busted I found my, my corporation to be incredibly strong and and Brendan's doing something else
1: i'm like playing a rover my rover puzzle is now a pickup and deliver game where i have to pick up meteorites and deliver them to actually score them
0: right and and we can we're both having a great time playing our game and doing really well But we don't have to care or know. So it just completely, it's a big strength of the multiplayer solitaire nature of this game. That we're working on our own puzzles in our own player space. That it allows for that asymmetry to have a really low barrier of entry. And to me, that's one of the most exciting things about... Planet Unknown is that it gives you that same super fun asymmetry at a low barrier to entry. And I'm not sure that's something I've really experienced uh, elsewhere as successfully.
1: So we've played this game a lot, Jake, but we haven't played it, you know, a hundred times. Do you think that part of what we're describing and talking about and having in this conversation is saying like the novelty of exploring the content in this game is really fun. Do you think that after a hundred games, you might tire of it or because of combining the different corporations with the different planets there's just so many variations that it, w- it would kind of lastingly be interesting to you and then also as a follow-up well no i'll save my follow-up i'll save my follow-up do you think it would lastingly be interesting to you
0: yeah it's a it's a t- very a fair question for me i i think the i'm having the mo- had the most fun with planet unknown when i was playing a corporation for the first time mm. or, or a planet and trying to figure it out yeah i think I think there's enough kind of variability that you can just you can get so many plays out of this game and I, I think there's also a, an expansion for this game called Supermoon that just I think adds a ton more stuff into the game as well. No. But yeah, I don't I don't think it's a game that I would be playing a- thousand times like a castles of burgundy of yeah. just kind of like the same few maps over and over and feel like i'm still improving yeah in that same way i think like the core game perhaps to me isn't as engaging as that but that negative review aside like i've had such a fun time playing this game like i want to buy it and add it to my collection so i can show people
1: totally So I I think that's
0: where I'm at with it. Like, I, yeah, go ahead. And
1: I think another interesting thing about that, Jake, is that because of the our perceived imbalance in, in the asymmetric boards and the planets even somewhat, I think a real benefit is that you could play this game with almost anyone because a newer player, you could give one of the more straightforward sort of planet boards and one of the more straightforward corporations and you could take what you perceive to be a pretty tough planet mixed with maybe not as strong of a corporation or one you're not as used to and try to make it work and i think you could kind of balance the table a little bit more effectively if people wanted to do that in a way that you could keep it interesting for the new players and for you as someone who owns the game and wants to show it to people and planet unknown because of its table presentation and having the cool lazy susan i think is a game that you do typically it lends itself to showing other people it's fun there's enough novelty. like any game that has a novelty factor that's fairly high is fun to show off and it's it's fairly high here
0: and it's it's quick it's easy to teach yeah um so i think that's like all the hallmarks of a game that's like for me rewarding to have and and show off as well i but it's you know it's probably a game that i want to play 25 to 50 times instead of a thousand times and i i mean i i really hesitate to say that because i think that's like when people one thing i've found and i see it in our decision space community on discord i I see it myself is people buy games with like the most aspirational mindset ever right people buy games hoping that it's something they're gonna like play it until the cardboard turns to dust and they can like pass down to their kids and it's going to be like their all-time number one game when as we all also know that buying a game for many of us who have way too many board games and many of the people in our community many of the listeners of this show not all you know buying a game and playing it on the table five times it should be held up as a success and if i feel like playing unknown is a game that you buy you probably play it more than that like 15 20 25 times because it's just so fun and you're going to want to show it off to people and yet that might be kind of played out at that point for you totally
1: yeah okay i jake that can we talk about some of the systems in this game because there's so many and i do just want to highlight the more we're talking about this game the more i was thinking about it when i was writing my my review i think the thing that is really special about Planet Unknown and why it succeeds is the interconnectedness of all of its systems. None of those systems are all that complicated. None of them are all that interesting from a sort of, you know, a novel twist perspective, not like a novel, just like component perspective. It's just fairly straightforward. You wanna fill up rows and columns. You're picking between two tiles. You have to pick up these meteorites that end up on your board. There's these life pods that you also wanna pick up. You have to move up these tracks, but they all inform each other in little ways, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I just want to say, I think like the biggest like hook for the game is actually a component hook, right? Yes. It's not even a gameplay thing. It's that you get a lazy Susan to spin around spin on around. your table, yeah, which is very cool. Yes.
1: Yeah. no, it is. But then the more you play, you sort of see, oh, it's so cool. Like the things that we've been talking about, right? Maybe I want to be picking large tiles and trying to fill up my board more quickly because that informs the game end timer but maybe if i'm doing that i'm not moving up my tracks enough so maybe i actually want to be focusing on smaller tiles so i can fit these tiles of the i can get the tiles of the right type on my board or like everything is so simple but it it's just that if you took a a pencil and you sort of like wrote the the different systems down and then you drew a line between them when you could think of a way that the decisions were, you had to think about one of the other systems while making a decision engaging with one of them i think you would really have a tightly connected map whereas some games the connections aren't so direct and aren't so clear and aren't so interesting in terms of how immediately you can interact with them on a decision level right like when i'm placing my tiles I'm doing that thinking about moving up the tracks. I'm doing that thinking about the rover puzzle. And I'm doing that thinking about how to fill up the rows and columns. And none of those are so complicated or so demanding that I can't think about all of them. Right? Like a lot of games, and that some games do have that interconnectedness, but it's so complex you can't actually engage with them. So I guess what I'm saying is this is one of those classic things where it feels like. The the game lives just beyond your cognitive horizon in terms of your ability to really maximize the efficiency of what's there, right? And I I don't know
0: I have like a slightly different take on that, and but ultimately drawing the same conclusion, which is that it is an a really surprisingly elegant game from the (laughs) perspective because you're able it it does so much with such simple core mechanism of grabbing a polyomino tile and placing on your board yeah but i think the reason it feels that way isn't that all those different mechanisms and puzzles are so simple it's because it is really presenting you with a sandbox so players aren't actually engaging with all those things on their given turn they're just picking one or two they're like sure. i want to go up on the black track okay so this i can draw tile a has yeah. that and i can it can fit here you know yeah you don't have, I don't have to be considering, you know, the objectives on that turn at all. Or I don't have to be considering the tile. You know, you're always kind of doing the columns, right? Because that's just like the core thing.
1: Mm-hmm. But on I your, think board, it, I, I think your board,
0: tile, right like the, the columns and rows yeah like you're always going to be thinking that because you're always putting something down on your board um, but i think the game kind of allows players to sort of pick what they want to be doing like i want to be doing the rover puzzle i'm going to like try and maximize my corporation or i'm trying to get to the top of this track and then it can kind of like get out of your way and while the actual boards and corporations don't seem very balanced like the actual core mechanism of, of like even after you know my 15 plays it's not totally clear to me like okay like really i should be just like focusing on filling up my board the whole time or Mm -hmm. like really i should be focusing on you know these two or three tracks it feels like you can do different things yeah it depends and do well in the game
1: yeah in a really rewarding way it totally depends and i will say yes jake i do try to force the rovers more than i should it's just fun. I love moving the little rover around, picking up the meteorites. It feels so good. Picking up the life pods. They only give you one point. I still like to get them. The life pods might be a little bit of a trap, I think. I think the life pods are a trap. Yeah. yeah. You can, uh, because it's only one point, oftentimes the right decision is probably to just lay a tile on top of it and smash it. It's a yeah. bonus. It's not, it's not an objective you have to shoot for, though- And like
0: putting a rover off of a tile, and then you don't want to, like, it you can so you can drive your rover off the tile onto your board, yeah. But then you can't, you if you put a piece on the space where the rover is, then the rover gets smashed, which is devastating. So it
1: can be the right decision at times, which is interesting.
0: It could be, sure. But the life pod being off the board means you have to take your rover off the board, it's like. It's just a, it feels like a pretty big tempo loss to get the one point.
1: Have you played the corporation board where the life pods go onto your tracks and you can skip over them and you get to move them around when you, I think I
0: think I did. Yeah. That one's cool.
1: Or that's the one awesome. where you, you get like special powers when you get the life pods. I think those make it. Oh, that, I think that's what I was thinking of. Okay. It
0: definitely. And and yeah, right. So of course there's an exception said, to every rule. There's an exception to everything. And it's cool that they're air. They are there. Yeah. Because the Designer is like, then, like, okay, what's like the wildest thing we could do with these life pods that we have? Yeah, yeah. Let's make a couple factions for that.
1: Have you just to this, have you played the one where the rover gets to move diagonally? I
0: don't think That's I played that one fun. either.
1: It's so <laughs> fun because normally it just moves orthogonally and it just yeah, it changes the whole. Puzzle. I
0: like the ro- my favorite rover one is the one where the rover. If they're holding a meteorite, they get to do a free movement.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's super fun. Pick up and deliver one. Yeah. That one's awesome. Should we talk about the objectives, Jake? It's it's a if you feel you don't always have to fill up your whole board. I think it's important for us to talk about objectives and if we feel though if maybe those are the load start. Do you always have to do those?
0: I think if I was introducing the game to a brand new player and they're like, okay, what should I focus on? That's probably the best place to pull. them because that's the the most zero sum thing right you're always going up the track to some extent you're always doing something with completing columns and rows but you could just get no objective points and you're i don't think you're going to do well getting no objective points
1: yeah i agree what do you think about the design of the objectives okay so right now we're talking about do you want to talk about the two-player version or the three-player version let's talk about the three or just the design of the objectives generally as okay well, so I, at one point it. i was
0: going to talk about some of the things that i think is was just like sloppy design about this game and one of yeah. them is the way the objectives work in a three-player game which is cool you have one personal objective and then you're competing with the person on your right and the person on your left for various objectives that's kind of interesting right trying to like add a little bit more interaction than you would otherwise have in the game it's a little bit of like a between two cities type of vibe or whatever where all of a sudden I'm caring about somebody else's board. However, you could literally have on your right, have the fewest life pods collected. And on your left, have the most life pods collected. Yeah, And, and the other players around the table aren't dealing with that same amount of, like, anti-synergy anti in their yeah. objectives. So that just stinks. Like, if you're sitting there in that position, it's just, like, that doesn't need to be there, right? Like, yeah. we could just say that's kind of, like, a little bit of sloppy design. Now, it doesn't matter. Like, the game is still super fun, but I can't say... I think that literally happened to me the first time I played this game. And I was just like, what? what? Like, I can't, I'm just like, I can't even believe this is an experience that you could have with the game. And I also think that, okay, sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just gonna say, and we have talked about how there's enough going on in Planet Unknown and there's enough ways to score points. And the game, the system is flexible enough that it probably didn't have that, You're probably fine in terms of your chances of winning, but it just feels bad when a game tells you that, right? It doesn't feel good when a game says do this and don't do this at the same time. As a player, we want our the objectives to be clear in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. And it it just, yeah, it feels like this negative edge that's being forced towards your game playing throat.
0: Yeah. I also think just like some of the design of them is just kind of like wonky too. Like some of them are just so insanely hard to achieve, and others are just like way easy and they're worth the same
1: do you want to throw out an example
0: the one that is like get a two by five shape of all the same type is just incredibly onerous to try to it messes up your board it's gonna screw up like everything else you're trying to do where one of the other ones could just be like have i don't know like instead of having it all in one space it could be like have the same amount of tiles but like you want to have like five different segments of the yeah. same type of resource and that's just like tremendously less onerous so yeah it just makes it's just kind of like weird and usually or have them on pick. the edge of your board yeah so i don't know like it's 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 a nitpick but it's definitely something that like stood out to me like huh like it for a game that is this good and this fun and like has had this much development done on it it you just don't expect to see that
1: I find that in addition to sort of situations like you just described, which is a frustrating player experience, oftentimes the objectives, like what I mentioned in terms of have the most of this tile type on the edge of the board, or what you mentioned, make the two by five grid of this tile type don't actually lead to that interesting of decisions. They kind of narrow the decision space in a way that's sort of frustrating um, because I found, at least in our two-player games, that accomplishing the objectives really matters. In a two-player game, the player who wins most of the objectives usually is the one of us to sort of take the game. Uh, And so you really have to care about them. And it's a little frustrating that at least in the two-player game, the game kind of tells you, focus on the system that's not maybe the most fun part of the game and has incentivized sort of doing the hard work to make it happen. But there are fun moments where you get glimmers of interesting decisions, but at the same time, it's just, there's this tonal conflict between this objective system and the way that the rest of the game presents your pursuit of points that's a little bit, I don't know, at odds with itself. It's a little proud rock. I might be
0: like kind of cooling on global objectives that are zero sum. Like I like Mm. it more in Cascadia where it's like, do this as as well as you can.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Versus like the one one player is going to get five points. The first person to achieve
0: this gets it. Yeah, you know because that just feels so important and i think you're right it narrows the decision space so much i just played a game funny that we're talking about this called moon by Mm. the publishers of villagers that's like global objectives the game (laughs) we played a four-player game there's 16 global objectives that you had to like like that's too many of those
1: 16 no wait no
0: i've said it wrong 12 so there's there's like one per player in the game times three. So we play four player games. or so three or four bronze, three bronze ones. Shoot, no four bronze, four silver, four gold. No. Sorry for that side, but yeah, I was like, no. this this stinks that we're like whatever we supposed to like memorize these twelve goals <laughs> 12 before objectives. we start yeah. playing. Yeah. Wow. I really liked the game, otherwise, but that was like, huh, and yeah. So having it come up here in a as kind of like a sticky thing that I agree with, it's kind of like, wait, maybe maybe I'm not crazy because it just feels like a little bit ham-fisted, like player interaction. Like I got yeah. your pl- you want player interaction? I got your player interaction right here. World changes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's this grid of things that we set out. Yeah, how do you want to close on Planet Unknown, Jake? What, what what's can I talk like- about?
0: <laughs> can I talk about one other thing that I think is sloppy <laughs> Just yeah like, great but <laughs> we're doing a little bit of turbulence a little bit of turbulence yeah the the black track gives you like these like sieve cards yeah and those are so strangely balanced to me too because like whenever you get one you get to look at three and take one yep and there's like a set collection card yep. in it that gives you like <clears throat> if you have one of them you get one point. It's like triangular scoring or something. Yeah, but more if you less, get yeah. four, you get ten, meaning each is worth two and a half points per yeah per card. But then, like in the fourth set, some of them just give you like three points right yeah. there. So it's just like, what are we doing with the set collection? It doesn't like. Why would I ever go for this? Right, why would I ever go for that? It doesn't. I,
1: I don't know. And it's total trap. And at times it's like, yeah. Early on, I was like, oh, fun. I, I'm gonna get lots. I know. Of I like
0: that. I like wanted to like go like my first yeah. few time. I'm like, I'm gonna go for this because that's like cool. Like I'm gonna try and like collect these. I like yeah. collecting things. It's like total trap. Punish. And then, yeah. there's like a meteor one that's like kind of the same. Yeah. So that's just like so strange. But but don't let it deter you from playing this game. I just like had to I had to say like I don't understand this.
1: Do you have a planet that just really stuck out to you, an asymmetric planet that you want to talk about? And I'll go first so you can sort of think about it. But okay. I have one that stuck out to me as really frustrating that I played <laughs> twice in a row that I never want to play again. It's called Pagetnov. Uh, with a, which I think is actually a great name because Alexey Pajanov I believe is the designer of Tetris so I, I, that might I'm just realizing right now as we're recording be a nod to the designer of Tetris which is really sweet uh, and the power is the tile must be able to slide into place from any direction so basically what this is saying is like if you have a, like a, a little L and it has to like slide into place like in Tetris you're playing Tetris in Planet Unknown on your board but the Tetris can be from any direction but um, this was fr- so frustrating. I felt like it made me p- made my decisions around tile placement so much significantly more difficult. Just like this spatial puzzle felt like a totally different game in a way that was maddening where I'd set up these things. And I was like, wow, my board's going perfectly. And I was like, oh wait, I can't, I can't slide this. I can't actually place that there. This, this is rough. And then, yeah, the service one that I talked about I, is really cool. I also played with this planet Jake called, a. Uh, um, char charbatus where you have to start from the inside i found that to just be like a fun little twist it's like cool i don't start from the outside of the board i get to tile from the inside out you know it's
0: so interesting that like the planets feel almost like there are some of the planets just feel like almost they're just hard mode right like, yeah at least in the implementation on board game arena you could always just pick the base planet and so often i'm looking at my board and I, I was always picking the like asymmetric planet I was presented with just to try out new stuff. Cause that was yeah. fun. But so often I'm looking at my board, like why would I ever <laughs> choose would I pick this planet? Yeah. It's like, it's like super hard. And like, there's like the only better thing about it is like, maybe there's like two more ice on it or something than yeah. the base planet. One of the, one of the ones that sticks out to me was it's called Arashi. Did you play this one? It's the one that has like the ring, ring. on it. Yeah. So it's like a giant ring that goes through the middle of the board And you can't place any tiles in there unless they extend beyond that as well. It just creates like a really interesting placement puzzle of like right where you want to kind of like set up shop. You can't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right in the center of your whole board. uh, Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, those are cool. I think the for my like decision space brain, like a lot of the the meat of the asymmetric the asymmetry was in, in the civilizations more or the corporations Corporations. more. Yeah. Uh, and, And I was just, I was, you know, I think that's kind of maybe where I would like to end and just give a huge, since I've been critical at times of some of the design things that are just strike me as odd in this game i such a huge hat tip to the creativity of the designers yeah. for just doing you know you, like that tetris board it's just wild it's crazy right it's like every mm-hmm. idea that they had they just ran with it and i think there's just such a lesser version of this game that comes with you know maybe eight four or five or six if it's a six player game or whatever like well balanced but just like a little bit different corpse or a little bit different planets and i'm so happy that they decided to just go for the extreme because that feels like something different than we get in so many other euro games yeah so it's something that i struggle with right like obviously people want games to be balanced but that's sort of a, a repeated theme. Is like at what cost? Yeah. And I, if you know, I don't think you know. Maybe the, the balanced version of this game wouldn't have the you know the objectives I don't like or the weird like civ cards that I don't like. But it would probably also not have so many of like the player, the corporations and planets that was where I found the most joy in this game. Yeah. Uh, so it's just an interesting case study in balance. Again, I'm glad that some designers are. are taking it to say like you know what screw it
1: <laughs> yeah and this is the kind of game that without crowdfunding right like you often don't get the more is more approach from a traditional publisher just because there's a lot of risk involved with putting so much time and so much design there, there's a lot of art in this game because there's so many unique boards and unique art you need unique art for all of those boards and that's really expensive i don't think you get something like that without crowdfunding so in some ways planet unknown for me might be one of my favorite crowdfunding games I've ever played. Yeah. So for that, I kind of want to applaud it for sort of taking this form that gets to exist because there's a new way that games can come to existence and do a good job with the more is more thing. And it, totally. it doesn't do a perfect job. We've had our criticisms, but it's enough that it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is fun as heck. I, I want to play this game. I'm actively trying to
0: track down a copy yeah, of it. Yeah. So
1: it's pricey. Yeah.
0: I, I, so allegedly, they've got at Barnes and Noble's. So, OK, sometimes so every time i
1: and if i see it i'll snag one for you too
0: thanks yeah every time i go i'm like which is not often (laughs) twice (laughs) that i've gone nope no playing unknowns here anyway so brenda i think that's the end of the episode that's our deep dive on playing unknown can't wait to hear what other people think about this game in our discord we'll have a thread up where you can talk about this episode you can talk more about this game and thank you all so much for joining us this week on decision space
1: Uh, If you are one of our pre-planners who likes to play games with us know that coming up in the future at some point we're going to cover Ticket to Ride. We'll also be covering Taverns of Tiefenthal, uh, the Wolfgang Warsh deck building game all about rolling dice, drafting them, putting them on cards. That's really fun. It's available to play online on Yukata. We're also still covering Food Chain Magnet this year. Uh, and if previously you got excited that we are covering Navigador, probably not going to cover it just because <laughs> we want to cover games with more interesting themes. And we'll just leave it at that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all so much again. And we will see you next week. Wait, did we say Hembry? Did you say No, what? we got to
1: thank Hembry for their intro and outro song, Reach Out. Bye, y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.